nothing that I produce is ever going to have an effect on my self-worth, ever. My self-worth is derived entirely from how I treat the people around me. Welcome to Let It Out, a podcast that I host. My name is Katie Dalebout. This week, I have a conversation with dancer, actress, model, interior designer, creative, confident podcast host, Hannah Faust. And she bursts with confidence in a way that I really admire. And you'll hear in this episode, and I do not at all myself possess And I say in this conversation somewhere that I'm not even confident in how much I lack confidence, (laughs) which we talk about. And this conversation was recorded what I would call early pandemic. I think it was around April, May. I just decided to move to LA. She lives in LA. We talk about spaces and creating your space and decorating She, like I mentioned, is an interior designer and she gives some really great suggestions for organization and feng shui and making a space feel really good, which I think is really important right now and something I'm trying to do. I'm moving into a new apartment and I really liked listening back to that. She also talks about organization in general and she is clearly a person who does many things at once and her advice around that and how she became an organized person after being a personal assistant here in LA was fascinating and and very helpful. We talk about recovery and becoming better at being yourself, of course, confidence and where she derives that and how it helps her in her life. We talk about dating and dating during the pandemic. She We connected because she ran something called COVID Cupid, which we talk about. And it's fascinating. We talk about creativity and this conversation. It was really interesting to listen back because my life has changed so much since then. And that was only a couple months ago. And it's just fascinating the time that we're in. So I'll let us get to that conversation as quickly as possible. It's a long one. And at the end, my favorite brand for Sigmatic that you know and love if you've been listening to the podcast. They are a sponsor this week and support them. Check out their products. At the end, their educator, Danielle, gave me some new information about mushrooms and their new products, which I think is really interesting and cool. So that will be at the end of this episode. And right now I'm going to tell you about some of my, I've been doing this a little bit every week, telling you about things that I've been learning or liking or eating. I'm currently making sourdough. It's not going well. I I think I did something wrong with the starter fermentation, but I'm also just looking around my room right now to tell you things that I'm into because I really didn't prepare for this favorites episode. But I mentioned before Goalie, these apple cider vinegar gummies that my co-host of Spiraling my other podcast, which is about mental health. It's an optimistic anxiety podcast spiraling. If you're, if you're new to let it out, 
try spiraling. It's one of my favorite projects that I participate in. But anyway, my co-host Serena got me hooked on these apple cider vinegar gummies that I'm really enjoying. I just started reading Joan Didion's The White Album. So I have that sitting on my nightstand and I've been using the RMS highlighter. Have you guys tried that? My friend Christine gave me some and that is sitting out on my nightstand. And also I've been talking about this book quite a lot, but Pema Chodron's When Things Fall Apart, I'm finding a lot of comfort in, in just reading a couple of pages of that here and there. And there's a great podcast episode of On Being with Devandra Bandhart about that book with Krista Tippett that I will also link to in the show notes. I hope you guys are having a good week. We're going to be taking next week off because I'm preparing, well, I'm moving actually, and I'm preparing for something that I want to tell you about, which is called Creative Underdogs. And Creative Underdogs comes, it's a term that I made up for someone who is easily overwhelmed, juggling multiple creative projects, often feels lonely in creating. And this term I made up for myself because I realized that there are many of us who feel this way. So I decided to make a club for us. And maybe you are one of those people, but it's a place where you can bring your creative projects to ripen. It's a place to feel us alone in your work in your creative life. And, you know, as underdogs, everyone is rooting for us. So I figured we might as well root for each other. And this club that I want to start on October 15th, it's a pilot program. It's the first time I'm doing this, but it's going to be this digital community to feel supported. It's going to be a a digital co-working space for us to explore personal creative expression and uncertainty. You know, within uncertainty, within something being in process, this is a place to bring your projects to ripen and feel like you're not alone. So I became a creative underdog when I left my full-time job a couple of years ago. Maybe you guys remember if you've been listening for a while, but I had this flexible yet stable full-time job. And when I left, I had more space and time than ever, yet somehow All of that openness left me more indecisive, more lonely, and more paralyzed and less productive and creative than I ever was. And so I realized that I needed guardrails to apply to my creative projects. And without community and accountability or direction, I felt just constantly directionless and overwhelmed and lonely. And I had so much I wanted to do. But in reality, I didn't really do much like that Julie Depley quote from Before Sunrise that I kind of always talk about. But I knew people who bounced really easily between projects and hobbies and they navigated their relationships and they maintained a spiritual practice of some sort and they turned out art, you know, while doing all of those things and they made it look so easy. So in my mind, I started calling these people life artists after I saw this Leonard Cohen documentary about his muse, his partner for a long time, Marianne, and she called herself a, a life artist. And so that term just was in my mind. And so I, I worked backwards to see the through line of what connected these highly creative individuals. And I saw 
what most of them had in common was that they surrounded themselves with allies to brainstorm with and collaborate with and talk things out with. They were supremely self-aware and connected to their intuition. They had a comfort with failing and trying again. They took care of themselves and their bodies and their relationships and their creative lives and their actual lives were pretty integrated. And I also realized that I lacked most of those qualities naturally. Um, you know, the organization and, and the bouncing easily from things. And they, you know, again, they made it look easy. And for me, the uncertainty of creativity felt like a struggle. And I spent most of my life feeling like I was behind or not good enough or like a master of none. But when I really started to look at these people and, and what they were doing and what they did when, I was able to look at that as a framework for myself and just realize, okay, I just need support and I just need direction and guardrails and accountability. And instead of saying I'm a master of none, I'm going to call myself a creative underdog. That seems more optimistic. And everyone knows that it's great when the underdog wins. So if you have the self-awareness that you too could use a little extra nurturing or support or collaboration, this is the space for you. And I would love for you to join this, this pilot round that we're doing. You know, sometimes you could call us dabblers or amateurs, but I'm going to call us creative underdogs. And Whatever creative project you're working on, it could be ceramics or it could be writing or it could be cooking or a combination of several things if, if you're me. I think creativity is so important for personal growth and development and relationships. And Brene Brown has this quote where she says, unused creativity is not benign. And I think that if we're not moving forward in our creative work, I know for me, I feel stuck and stagnant and I'm kind of a nightmare to be around. But if I touch a creative project somewhat daily, I'm much more pleasant to be around. So this group is a workshop that I'm going to facilitate and share, you know, a theme and my experiences and education and successes and failures and everything that's helped me. And I also am going to bring in guest speakers. So creative friends of mine who are life artists and they will show us new perspectives, different perspectives. And then I'll give us all and we'll give each other accountability and support. And that will be the fertilizer to ripen our art and our projects. So if you want to be part of this, the link is in the show notes. All you need is a curiosity in starting or deepening a creative practice, a desire for connection and collaboration with like-minded, vetted people, and a desire to you know, deepen your self-care and well-being while creating. You know, you might be in a transition of some sort like me. You might be just feeling overwhelmed in general on where to start. You might have more ideas than time or be contemplating a new project. This is for you. So every month we're going to have a theme, a creative clinic where we have this group call at the beginning of the month and discuss the month's theme. And then we go into a work session. So we'll have a virtual co-working session where we're all going to check in about accountability and really get something done together. And hopefully you'll do several of those. We'll do one together. And then we'll have this artist conversation where it's a monthly workshop with a guest on a topic to support creativity. And then, you know, there'll be a, a community for support and homework assignments and journaling prompts. And there's an optional level where 
you and I can talk on Voxer about your project and I can consult on it creatively a bit. Anyway, if you have any questions, let me know. The link to apply and join us is in the show notes, but I would love to have you. And I am so grateful that you're here and that you're listening. And I will talk to you in two weeks. Four Sigmatic is this wellness company that's well known for its delicious mushroom coffee. But if you've been listening to this podcast for any period of time, you know that I've been using Four Sigmatic and their products, not just their coffee, outside of their coffee. They have so many different products, which you'll hear Danielle and I talk about for years. And I genuinely love them and use them all the time. Right now, chaga is my favorite functional mushroom. The compounds in chaga have antioxidant properties and play a role supporting your immune system functioning properly, which is cool. Their products taste amazing, not like you're drinking mushroom flavored coffee. They, it tastes really great and doesn't leave me jittery or crashing. And what's cool is that Four Sigmatic products are all organic and vegan and gluten-free and every single batch is tested by a third party for heavy metals and allergens and bad bacteria and yeast and molds and anything not great like that to ensure the purity and the safety of it, which is really nice. So you know that you're getting the highest quality coffee and mushrooms possible. Best of all, Four Sigmatic stands behind their products unconditionally with a 100% money back guarantee. I've worked out an exclusive offer for Let It Out podcast listeners on their best-selling Lion's Mane coffee. This is just for Let It Out podcast listeners. You can receive up to 39% off their best-selling Lion's Mane coffee bundles, which is my favorite. To claim this deal, you must go to foursigmatic.com slash Katie, K-A-T-I-E. This offer is not available on their regular website. So go to foursigmatic.com slash Katie. That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com slash Katie, K-A-T-I-E. And fuel your productivity and creativity with some delicious mushroom coffee full discount applied at checkout. Thank you so much for Sigmatic. Do you find being from the Midwest as a defining characteristic in your personality? Oof, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think, I think sometimes yes. In the sense of, I guess I don't find it to be a defining characteristic of my personality from sort of an objective perspective, but it definitely just gives me a different point of view from a lot of people that grew up here in Los Angeles because I've never lived anywhere else. I lived in the Midwest, in Ohio, and then I lived in LA. So I have lots of friends in LA that are born and raised here. And there are certain elements of, you know, comparing stories about our upbringing that I can't relate. (laughs) I can't relate at all. And they can't relate to me. And I think that comparatively, it seems like, you know, those are just two wildly different places and there's a lot of difference between them. But I would say that I think that there's a misconception around people who were born and raised here, that they have some sort of like LA attitude and that Midwesterners have this wholesome experience. And I don't think that's true. I think that's a huge misconception. Yeah. 
It's so funny. I'm feeling so nostalgic for New York today for some reason. I I was just, I was, um, you know, I'm leaving there quite abruptly. And right before this, I was just on a call handling shipping my stuff here. And so it felt very complete because I was meant to go back there and say goodbye. And like, I would have done a thing, you know, like I would have had a party or like seven and gone to all my places for the last time. And I'm not doing any of that. And so it just, I'm feeling so nostalgic for it, talking about it. But yeah, I think there's something really interesting about places and where we come from and and finding your home. And do you feel like you'll be in LA forever? Or do you feel like you'll move around? I will definitely be in LA forever. I love it here. LA is maybe the greatest love of my life. Mm, I love, I love it here. How I come? do. You know, I think on one hand, I moved here when I was 19. I had no connections. I had no friends. I knew not a single soul out here and I was totally on my own and it should have been the scariest thing I've ever done. And when I got here, I still was just I just knew that it there was like a connection to the city that I hadn't ever felt before. I would say it took about four years for me to really settle in to totally 100% feel like this is my home. And when I got to that point, I feel like LA is my home more than I ever felt like Ohio mm. was my home. Yeah, And I just think it's perfectly tailored to my personality, which is that I have so many interests I have so many passions and I feel like in LA, I can explore anything I want. Yeah. I can be, I can go to a different neighborhood every single day and be a different version of myself. You know what I mean? Mm, Yeah. Yeah. You're making me very excited. I I feel that way too. I was just telling a friend who, who lives here, but has also lived in New York and I've been walking so much here. I've been walking like a New Yorker here and there's so many plants that seem exotic to me. And I oh my just, gosh, yeah. It, the whole thing just feels very, I feel very far, you know? And like, I'm far mm-hmm. from my family. I'm far from my friends. I'm in a different time zone. And it is like kind of as far as I could be. And that's maybe not true. I'm not great at geography, but you understand. And yeah. <laughs> I think I'm just so grateful. Like, I'm so grateful to not have to scrape the ca- the snow off of my car and totally. I'm grateful to like it just it feels it feels really correct for right now and there's something kind of magical but it feels like this weird utopia that I just oh kind of God, can't believe totally that I'm is. here <laughs> I I mean I love my neighborhood so much I could have the most terrible day and I try to take a walk every day at like golden hour and I just become so grateful even though it's the same street it's the same neighborhood as it always is I just feel so grateful and I I love the plants and I love seeing, you know, the same nature that I see every day, but it's just, yeah, I don't know. There's something really special about LA. I also think that it's very expensive to be here. Don't get me wrong. And especially if you're in the entertainment industry, it can be super brutal. But for the most part, LA is very easy. Like we we don't have bad weather. We have beautiful real estate. We have access to anything that we could ever want. I mean, it's no one has a job who has a job. Like everyone's working in some sort of gig economy. Like you can call up 90% of your friends on a Tuesday and say, Hey, let's have lunch. And they're not going to have to leave the office. You are so free here. Yeah. It's interesting in... I've been talking a lot about this, you know, New York, LA, because it's a really common thing that a lot of... A friend of mine told me, someone 
on my podcast actually that LA is kind of a place for your 30s and New York is a place for your 20s. And I get that in the sense of it's a really hard place to live. <laughs> like it's really mm-hmm. hard to live there. I love it so much. And I, like I said, for some reason today, I'm feeling like I don't want to shit on New York at all because I'm just feeling like really overprotective of it. But um, because of right now, but it's, you know, schlepping your groceries and the snow and the tiny spaces. And it's also so magical and wonderful and things happen really fast there. But the same person said to me that you're, it's a town of extremes. So your highs are euphorically high and your lows are like horribly bad. But I think here I feel a bit more even like my mood has lifted. I, you know, not having the seasonal depression is like no joke. And yeah, there's something here that really I'm, and and during this time, especially, I mean, I oh just, yeah, it's yeah, I, I'm just incredibly grateful. But yeah, I'm a big, I'm a huge fan of Bravo reality shows, uh-huh. and I when I watch Summer House with my best friend, they are now. Granted, I don't drink alcohol. I don't drink alcohol because there was a time where I drank a lot of alcohol. So that show Summer House, the level at which they drink. Is that in New York or LA? Yeah. So their summer house is a bunch of New York kids that have a Hamptons house on the weekends in the summer. And just the level at which they drink and then get up and like go to activities and work out and party until they're like blacked out. And like all this, like, it's just crazy manic energy that my friend and I are always like, how do they have the stamina? These people are in their thirties. And every time we just come to the conclusion, we're like, it's New York. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, I didn't live that way there. I know. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I was really tired. So, you know, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, it's it was it was this joke I kept saying about quarantine like when this started, I was on a flight back from Australia and I was worried that I would have COVID. This was before it had mm. really escalated to like it wasn't shelter in place yet, and I was like if I have to be quarantined, I couldn't even conceive of like things, everything being closed and everyone quarantining. Oh, like that was just like, I couldn't even conceive of that being a thing. And I, to avoid feeling my feelings, my addiction, I've had several, but this one, the most recent one was just filling my time to not have to feel, mm-hmm. feel my feelings. And so it was, mm-hmm. I was just like running around and sure, I'll go to your cousin's brother's thing and then I'll go to that and then I'll work from here and I'll travel. I mean, that was the biggest manifestation of it. And having to sit still and be in my own space, it's not even my own space, was so inconceivable to me, but kind of the best medicine that I could have ever imagined for myself, which is not a unique situation, but it's jarring, you know? And I think a lot can happen quite quickly in New York of like, you can go to a lot of things in one day where here it's like, you might just do one or two. And I think I wasn't alone in the fact of, you know, running around there. Yeah. 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 I don't know. We're in such a weird situation where in theory, all of our lives have stopped collectively all of a sudden. And you know, that's like a little bit of an extreme way to put it, but yeah, I don't know. It feels like everything we do now, we're 10 weeks into shelter in place or quarantine or whatever you want to call it. And it feels like everything we do now is through this lens. Yeah. So how have you been doing? What has this time brought up for you? You know, I've been really good and it feels it feels a little strange, but my quarantine has looked like so I started I out of nowhere got a ton of work a little over a month ago. 
Great. So, and this is your branding work? Because yes. tell tell me all the things that you do. Because I know you okay, do yes, branding, do. you oh, yeah, you do okay. interior design, yeah, dance, yeah. you so, act. You are a a master of all. <laughs> oh my God. I'm a definitely a multi-hyphenate, which it's has its ups and downs. So my career, I would say, is that I'm a performer. So I cool. dance, I model, I act. That is I, I do a lot of comedy. That is the that's the end goal and the career that I hope to have one day. I hope to be like a star, essentially. I, yeah, I, you're yeah, a star I'm to a star. me. Thank you. I mean, yeah. I'm a star to me too. So that like manifests itself in a bunch of different projects and I'm always working on something new and interesting, but I um, pay my bills primarily through doing branding and marketing work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have the interior design stuff is sort of like a, a side hustle slash me getting really fussy with my marketing career and seeing if there was a way that I could pay my bills in a way that was more creative or you know restructure my life. But I got you have such a great eye in, in both oh, of those. Thank you. My respects, mom's an interior yeah. my mom's an interior designer, so I get oh, wow. I have to like credit her for a lot of my taste. Yeah. Wow, you have amazing taste. I mean, I'm gonna have so many questions for you as I'm putting together a a place of my own. I, oh my I, gosh. your Instagram yeah. is just so beautiful and Oh, thank you. It really makes sense of your mom with an interior design background, your dad with branding, and then yeah. you do a little bit of both. That's beautiful. Are either of them performers? Well, my mom was a dancer and she was a dance teacher growing up. And then my dad, he plays the trumpet. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Wow. What a creative family. And do you have siblings? I do have siblings. I have an older brother and a younger sister. I'm like your textbook middle child. My older brother is a cinematographer and my sister is still in school. Do they live here? No, they don't. They, my brother lives in DC and my sister lives in Baltimore. So they're kind of near each other. And then my parents live still in Columbus, Ohio. And I'm the only one on the West Coast. I love Columbus, Ohio. Do you my best, really? My best friend lives there. I love it. It's like one of my favorite places to visit. The, it is cool. I grew up in like a pretty lame suburb. I'm not going to lie. Uh-huh. But my parents have since moved to like a very... My parents are so funny. They're like so hip and with it for like 60 year old white people in the Midwest, but they live in this like chic downtown loft with like exposed brick and no doors. And it's like, that is perfectly decorated. And, you know, they're always going to art gallery openings. Oh my God. Can I move in with them? I know. I know. I mean, they're definitely so many of my friends are, have a separate relationship with them because they are very cool. That's very cool. Okay. So, but back to you. (laughs) So my, the work that I got about five weeks, five or six weeks ago in quarantine is all centered around my branding and marketing business. So it all came very suddenly and it's a lot. So I'm working like 65, 70 hour weeks, which is not something that I would normally do in my life because I make sure that I reserve a good amount of my time for my career. But it's weird because, you know, I'm not driving across town for auditions right now. I'm sending in a self-tape and I'm not doing dance performances and I'm not doing comedy performances and I'm not working on these projects that I was working on before that are artistic in nature and, you know, but not quarantine friendly. So I have all this extra time. 
I made some financial mistakes when I was in my early 20s and I'm still paying for them. And so I just have said yes to every work opportunity, even though I'm totally exhausted because I would like to use, take advantage of this time to make some money, save some money, pay off some debts. But it's just interesting because I had this phase one of quarantine where I wasn't working and then phase two of quarantine where I'm working so much. And throughout the whole time, but you know, that puts me in a a little bit of a different mental space, but I'm very lucky because at the beginning of quarantine, even though I wasn't working and I didn't have, you know, I was kind of like every other person in quarantine doing a new puzzle every day, like finding these home activities to do while I just sort of get comfortable with not having anything going on and not being able to see people. I, my mental health really remained in a very positive place. And I was really relaxed and very optimistic and really like kind of thriving. And I was so proud of myself. I really, I mean, trust me, if you talk to my therapist, she would be, I mean, I talked to my therapist, so she is amazed, but like she would have not bet money on the fact that I would have been like fine in a situation like this because I struggle really with things where I don't have control over the situation. It's a period of transition and I don't know how long it's going to last. And I really struggle when I can't see the next step ahead of me. Yeah. But I really was totally fine and totally comfortable. And I just wanted to spend that time being of service to other people because I know that a lot of people were really struggling. Um, And so I I just kind of spent that time reaching out to friends and doing some fun projects, um, the COVID Cupid, which is how you and I connected in the first place to just, I don't know, kind of share that relaxed notion or, you know, whatever you want to call it. So that's kind of how I spent the first half of my of my quarantine and then I started working and now I don't have time to think about anything else. Yeah. <laughs> it's really interesting there are those two experiences of like I'm I'm in the latter of like I always work from home and can work from home and I'm very grateful for that of like everything I do can be done from home. I prefer to go to coffee shops and co-working spaces and travel and do all these things but I can do it all from anywhere and not... I can't imagine if I didn't have that coping mechanism and I really did have all the open space because... you know, if I worked in, I my friend here works in restaurants and like can't can't work or you know the the piece of your work of of being a performer and there's there's so so much of there there's people in the camp of like that always work from home that are just like well this isn't even that totally. different and I think that's really interesting and it, it's kind of a privilege to be able to to do your work and to have that leg up on people who don't usually do their work from home and how to warm up right. to the reality of that. And so that that's a bit interesting and, and tricky as well. And I think with that open space, you know, we can... I was listening to Elizabeth Gilbert talk about this of like when we're asked to sit with ourselves, it's the last thing that we want to do. And that's why everyone was like, let's get on Zoom. Let's do a reunion. Let's mm-hmm. do a trivia. Let's do this and that because we want to distract ourselves from from feeling our feelings. And I, I've definitely been doing that, you know, a fair, fair bit. 
you know, it's funny because I, I, I said this on the, probably the podcast episode that you listened to, but you know, I'm a recovering addict. I'm in a 12 step program. And it feels like if I had to guess, we're all probably the ones that are doing the best during this quarantine, because we have been preparing for this. Like we have been, all you do when you're working a a program of recovery is learn how to authentically be comfortable with yourself and strip away all of the things, all of your coping mechanisms that you use to avoid feeling your actual feelings. And so it's like, I've been working towards this for so long. We didn't even know that this was like a goal that we were going to, you know, achieve at some point. But I think that that's a huge part of it. I feel incredibly comfortable sitting with myself. I feel incredibly comfortable spending time with myself. I don't have any skeletons in my own closet anymore. I don't have things that I hide from myself. I am like radically honest with myself all the time. I'm in a 12-step program. I'm in therapy. I meditate every morning for an hour, which is like so obnoxious to say, but it's, you know, I just have a lot of tools to make sure that I am always in a position where I am super comfortable with myself because that's the way that I prefer to live my life. And so now I feel totally prepared. Yeah. I think that's what I always say about the 12 steps. I really feel like it's a masterclass in being human. And I wish that it was taught in school because if I had had that program growing up, I I mean, I guess I would be a a totally different person Mm -hmm. maybe for the better, but... I, I really think, you know, for for me at least, I, I don't look at it in quite the same way of I look at it as like I'm always still in progress. Like every time I think right. I've got all the skeletons, like there's more and there's another layer. And I think I believe having coping mechanisms is okay. Like I can't be if I was trying to be aware and present all the time, it's too much. You know, sometimes right. I am going to turn to overworking or turn to watching something cozy or turn turn to something. And I think that that's just part of it because it's a lot, you know, it really yeah. is a lot. And we need these little, we need these little things, you know, especially, um, you know, when we're not turning to, to other things, you know, or people right. or whatever, whatever. Um, so it, that's, that's really lovely that, you know, we, we both have that, that program and that, support and we can still have that support from afar and it's really cool and beautiful and then to channel that into creativity is is yeah. really cool and helping other people so i want to hear everything about covid cupid i think oh, of it's course. so wonderful and just such a sweet idea and so it's just i love it so much so how did you get the idea yeah. tell us everything well, I guess I'll preface this by saying that I I got all of that work right after we did the first round. And so I am going to continue it. It's been over a month now since it wrapped up. And so I do, I am going to continue it. I just really needed to get my bearings with these new clients. And, you know, when I'm working this amount, it's hard to sort of pour my energy into other activities, but I do want to do another round. But so I came up with the idea actually in a meeting with my therapist. Of course, you know, we all do our best thinking with our therapist. Or in the shower. (laughs) Or in the shower. Yeah. (laughs) But so I am, I have like an interesting relationship with dating. 
I think especially right now, I have been single by choice for over a year. And I, I spent a lot of time, I spent the years prior to that really, really seeking out a serious relationship and being incredibly disappointed every time it wasn't working out and feeling like I had this like defect, like that the common denominator was me and I couldn't make any of these relationships work. And it was really frustrating. And then I eventually sort of just naturally pivoted into a place where I, I said, I'm going to put this down for a while. And then that has become the place where I'm at now, which is that I'm not actively seeking out a relationship. And I actually feel like I've dropped a lot of the baggage that comes with it. And I feel totally comfortable with myself. I feel like I provide everything that I need for myself and a relationship would only add to it. That being said, I am a huge extrovert. I love the activity of dating and getting to know people and meeting people because I just really love spending time with other human beings and I love getting to know them and getting to know the beauty in them. And I I don't mind the process of kind of figuring out like, well, this person might not be worth my time or, you know, maybe I'm not meant to sort of connect with this person in or cross paths with them or whatever. But then we got put into quarantine. I feel like. I, a lot of people had this idea at the top that we were just going to do it for a month and then life was going to go back to normal. And I was like, LOL, this is going to be our life for a really long time. (laughs) And I still hold that belief. I still really think that we're going to be in some sort of shelter in place for the next year or so. Yeah, this is a marathon. That is totally, totally. And so I was like, you know, what's a good way for us to meet and connect with each other? I don't, being on a dating app right now feels crazy. And I I know lots of people are doing it. But at the time, I was just like, I don't know, maybe we can just try something else. So I came up with the idea that I would essentially kind of play matchmaker for whoever wanted to participate. And since we can't meet up in person, apply or submit if you're from wherever, you don't have to be exclusively in LA. And I don't know, let's just see what happens. I tried to keep the expectations very low because I'm not a matchmaker and I was not gathering a lot of information from people. I was really asking for the basics. And then, you know, maybe we would create a connection somewhere, or maybe you would meet someone that could be a professional contact, or maybe you would meet someone that would end up being your friend. I don't know. I just, I have a really strong desire to connect people and to create human connections and partake in them myself. So that's how I came up with the idea. And then the project ended up being such an interesting like peek into the psyche of single American people in quarantine. <laughs> how so? Well, it's interesting because I didn't ask for a lot of vulnerable information, but I was asking for deal breakers and top three qualities that you're looking for in a person. And there was something really vulnerable about so many people were willing to get super vulnerable in their email to a total stranger. I mean, I maybe only had 15 people in all 200 of them that were friends or acquaintances of mine. Otherwise, these, I mean, I was getting submissions from Australia and Canada and all over the world. I don't even know how they found me, but these people don't know me. And they were so willing to be vulnerable in their emails to me. And so it was so interesting to see what it was that they were saying. It was also really fascinating to see patterns, especially between men and women. And I mean, 
I just want to note that we had a handful of gender non-conforming people. So this is like very me just lumping men and women, especially because we had a range of sexualities and, you know, et, et cetera, et cetera. But it was really interesting to see the differences between the way that the men went about it versus the way that the women went about it. What was that? We had so few men comparatively. We had about 25% men and the rest women. And then, you know, gender non-conforming people sort of made up a small percentage in there. Almost none of the men wanted to go public. So we had the option. I had the option where if you wanted to, you would have a, you know, everyone got their own little like tailored matches. But if you wanted to, you could also have just a tiny slide on my Instagram highlights, which you can, I left them up there. You can still go see that just has, you know, your photo, your name, what you do and where you're from. And if anyone was like too shy to participate or missed the deadline, or you didn't end up on their tailored match list, that person is still totally open to be reached out to. So just another way to make some connections if I, so that I didn't hold all of the power necessarily because... I definitely don't trust myself to hold all of the power in that situation. Um, but it was just another opportunity for connection. And almost no men wanted to go public. So many of the women did and almost no men did. That's interesting. I wonder why that is. I think it's a matter of vulnerability. I mean, that's just an assumption coming from me. But I think it's really hard for men to put their intentions out there in a public forum like that, where I think it's... I think women are a little bit more comfortable saying I'm single and interested in meeting people and here I am. Yeah. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on dating in general? So your best advice on dating or experience with dating, are you dating now in in quarantine? Yeah. Well, so I mean, I feel like I've had a complex relationship with dating for a long time because I'm perpetually single. I had a serious boyfriend when I was 15, 16 years old, that was a really, really toxic and abusive relationship. Mm. And, you know, for that to be your first experience, it was pretty long term and it was, you know, not, it was very unhealthy. And I'm sure that that sort of put me in a place where for the next several years, I was subconsciously healing from that and not necessarily open to, or not not energetically open to a situation where I was going to have another meaningful relationship. I certainly dated, I sought out relationships, but I think energetically it just wasn't going to happen for me. But, you know, that was a really long time ago because I'm about to be 29 and I was just a baby. I mean, I'm almost twice as old. So I I can't necessarily give everything over to that, but I'm a really fiercely independent person and my standards are super high and I have zero shame about that. And I also will never ever compromise who I am for anyone. I don't care what you're willing to give me. I will never compromise the core of who I am in order to get something out of someone else. It's just truly is impossible. Um, But I think where I stand now is that, you know, I... I am totally open to finding a relationship. It's not something that I'm seeking out right now. I'm definitely single. Um, I'm, yeah, I don't know, open open to finding someone. But the real deal is that I have never met a man who's good enough for me. I love 
the way that you speak and the confidence. <laughs> it's so refreshing. And yeah, I, I would like it to be contagious. I'll tell you that. <laughs> it's interesting. I kind of did a similar thing. I had a, a shit storm of a heartbreak last year that I have talked about at this pod, on this podcast at length. And <laughs> during my, you know, like year of travel, it was, it was a, a way to kind of take a break from dating. And then when I got to LA, I was like, you know, I'm really going to fully not worry about dating because I really need to focus on my work. And mm-hmm. I did. And, and then it was a quarantine. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it's just, and like you said, we're, we're kind of in it for the long haul. And I've been talking to a lot of people about dating during this time and thinking about it. Like, you know, a friend of mine has two little kids and is somewhat recently divorced. And, you know, for her, she would need to get a babysitter and like, it's a big ask to go and meet people and then might that she might not even like and want to spend time with. And so in in that sense, you know, dating in quarantine, she can jump on Zoom and put on a dress and like make herself a drink and sit Mm -hmm. with someone. And, you know, and so in that way, I think it's really nice. And I was kind of like, yeah, low stakes, you know, maybe it is a time to maybe I should start dating now. Like I'm really good at talking to people on the internet. I've made a lot of friends that way, but I had, I've never really been on the dating apps. I've never, yeah, I, I really haven't done it and kind of had this aversion to it, which I don't think is fair to them. And I know so many people meet that way, but I, I thought this project was really refreshing because my friend's therapist said to her recently, ask all your friends to set you up with people. That's what they did in the eighties. And it, and yeah. it works, you know? And I feel like you're really doing a, a throwback to that, which is which is cool and interesting. So have you been on any... I want to know several things. Have you been on any Zoom quarantine dates? Walk us through how that went. And then have you heard of any people matching up from COVID Cupid? Yeah. Okay. So I'll answer the latter first, which is that I had... I've gotten an array of feedback I've had people let me know that they met up with someone and that they're really interested and they think that it's going somewhere, which is amazing. I've had people say I DM'd every single person on my list and no one got back to me. I, I feel like it's like anywhere in between. And I think the thing that kind of bummed me out after the first round is that my only, the only thing that I can control is just matching these people up. If they're not interested in each other or they don't want to reach out, like I can't do anything about that. And then I also, the other thing that's totally out of my control is I don't know these people and they could be totally positioning themselves as someone else in their email to me. And I don't right. love the idea that, you know, let's say that there's some like fuck boy who positions himself and his email to me like he's this serious guy looking for a relationship. You know, that's kind of a bummer for me if I end up matching him with a really wonderful woman who is looking for a relationship and then he he ends up kind of playing her. Like I hate that. I hate that I'm associated in those moments and I hate that I don't have the control over it. But it's definitely a practice in sort of releasing that and surrendering that. Yeah. Um, but that would be really a whole different do. ball game of you sitting down and doing interviews with everyone. Oh my God. I know. And this is very like low touch. Totally. <laughs> Did you ever watch there's this show in I'm a little bit older than you, so you would have been pretty young because I was really young. But it's called Mismatch and it was with Alicia Silverstone. 
Oh my God. No, but tell me everything. Oh my God. Hannah, Lake Bell, Alicia Silverstone. It was on like NBC. I forget who the dudes were, but they were very handsome and people we would know. And she's a matchmaker. She, it's very LA. Honestly, I want to give it a rewatch right now as I'm talking to you, but find mm-hmm. it on the internet. You would love it. I think it was on for one season, maybe two. And she's it's very Cher esque. Like she's just this mm-hmm. cool. She's a divorce attorney. That's what she okay. starts off as, and then she becomes a matchmaker. And it's oh, just funny. so great. It's so cute. But she does that. She it, you know it becomes her job, and she there the you know ups and downs that happen with that. But it's yeah. I remember it being so oh my god. I'll have to cute. check it out. Yeah, I love Alicia you, Silverstone. Me too. I love her so much. So as soon as I saw this, I thought of that and I just thought you Amazing. were adorable. And, um, <laughs> yeah, and um, I, had a, I had a crush on you. So, okay, oh, back to dating. So okay. um, my, my quarantine dating experience is totally none. Number one, because <laughs> I'm just feeling like super unmotivated. I'm in a real, I mean, I cannot like emphasize enough. My podcast is called Confidential, which is like a play on the fact that... I'll, I I just am the most confident person on the face of this planet and I want to talk about it and share it share it with other people and I want to talk about other people and where they get their confidence from and it's like not a character. It is totally who I am. <laughs> Have you always been that way? A little bit. I'm a Leo and by nature I'm just totally obsessed with myself. But then I think in my 20s, doing all of my program work and doing all of my... like I've done so much work to really become comfortable with who I am authentically. And through that, I think is where a lot of my confidence comes from is that I truly am totally authentically... like I, I Of course, I make mistakes. And of course, I have moments I'm not proud of. But I really love myself. And I love... I just think I'm the greatest. I really do. <laughs> That is very cool. And yeah. like I said, if I had like 10% of that, I would be in much better shape. <laughs> oh my God. It's so fun. I mean, I hang out with a lot of comedians and all we do is like make fun of ourselves and self-deprecate. And so it's like, it feels like it stands out, especially, I mean, I'm sure you can imagine you're, you spent time in New York. It's like, I don't really hang out with a lot of stand-ups. I hang out with a lot of improvisers, but still it's in the same vein of like, we all hate ourselves a little bit, but so. So because of that, it's always been like a characteristic that my friends have pointed out and they love to sort of poke fun of me for it. And I always tell them, I'm like, make fun of me all you want. It is so fun being me. (laughs) Wow. That is very cool. So what would you say to someone um, like me? Hi. That is, (laughs) I'm maybe the least confident person you could ever, I'm not even confident that I'm not confident, right? Like (laughs) how, what would you say, what would you say to me? Like, what do you, is that something you cultivate or do you think it's inherent? Yeah. Oh my God. Childhood. I mean, I think there's a lot of deprogramming that maybe has to happen there. Yeah. I think there's a lot of deprogramming that has to happen. I think you have to really get to a point where you, because our world, like our patriarchal capitalist world does not want you to love yourself because then you won't buy the things that will make you prettier. You won't do the, you you know, you won't work for terrible wages and no health insurance. Like our society really doesn't want you to feel good about yourself. And I I think you just have to be fully prepared to unlearn everything that has ever been drilled in your head since you grew up. And I mean, I would say this is like me talking mostly to Americans because that's a big part of our culture. But 
you got to be willing to totally question kind of everything that you have ever thought, but you can totally cultivate it and you can totally get to a point where you, I don't know. I mean, I would just say that I feel like, I feel like I walk around this world and I see and I know and I surround myself with these like incredible people with the most amazing hearts and the most amazing intentions and the core of who they are in their souls is so pure and beautiful and they're bringing something amazing to this world. And I know that not everyone is like that, but everyone has that in them. And you just have to be able to, if you can recognize it in other people, you can recognize it in yourself. Yeah. The podcast that went up today, my the the guest said this line, and I'm not sure this is his, but he was saying, we can never see ourselves clearly. And so it's better to outsource how you see yourself to someone who loves you because that will be more clear. That'll be closer to the picture of who you actually are yes. than what you're telling yourself. Cause I have like a very mean voice in, in my head telling totally. me how shitty I am all day, you know? Mm-hmm. And I have a, a, a quiet, a very, very quiet voice that tells me that like, Oh, maybe you're okay. And like, maybe you did a thing and maybe you're fine. Yeah. Maybe you, someone will love you and blah, blah, blah. But it's like strengthening that voice. It's like the, the, have you heard that story about the wolf you feed? No. I'm going to, I can't even tell it. I'm going to butcher it. But basically it's like, there's a pack of wolves and the one that survives is the one you feed. And we have all these different wolves in our mind, you know? I don't know too much about your 12 step journey, but a phrase that I learned in my 12 step meetings that I love to use. And I'm like, literally, I mean, I'm, I'm writing a movie that's uh, a big, it's a horror movie. That's a big analogy for addiction. And Mm. I'm like using this visual as part of it is that when you aren't paying attention, your disease is in the corner doing push-ups. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of how I feel like that's very similar to the wolf that you feed. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we talk a lot about eating disorders and relationships to our bodies and um, because of my situation with that. (laughs) Yeah. It's such a tricky addiction, you know, the ones that are, you know, work and codependency and food because you probably heard this, but it's like abstinence isn't an option. So it's like, you have to have a little bit of whiskey every day, you know? Right. Um, Right. Well, so, I mean, I, I will just tell you now that the program, the 12 step program that I am a part of is might be the same one as you, (laughs) which is for compulsive food behaviors and, and eating disorders. And I use the term sobriety because I, as, as an association, don't drink alcohol because it help, alcohol helps me feed the wolves. But I don't identify as an alcoholic and I don't frequently use the term abstinence in public because people tend to associate that with sex. But in my program, they call it abstinent. I might be telling you things that you already know. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's great. Well, you wrote something about your eating disorder that I thought was really beautiful that I saw today. And I... You, you said that eating disorders are quiet and unnoticeable and that you never lost or gained too much weight to tip anyone off. And I think, yeah. you know, when it comes to body image, a question I always ask people on the show is, what is it? And we've talked a lot about competence, but I always frame this this way of when you're having what I call a bad body image day, when you're not feeling mm-hmm. great about your body or um, what is it that you do to make yourself feel better? Or do you have days like that ever? 
Yeah, totally. So, I mean, I, I suffered with my eating disorders from the time that I was five until I was 23. So every mm-hmm. single day I was like a slave to them. I mean, I should write a book about it eventually. It's like, I can't even, there's just not enough time in the day to go into detail on how much I was totally, my life was at the mercy of my eating disorders and how much I deeply hated my body, hated the way that I looked, like had just so much body dysmorphia. It's insane. And now I am on the other side of that in the sense that my eating disorder definitely still exists. I'm going to need to focus on it and go to my work, my program, call my sponsor, go to, you know, do all of that for the rest of my life. It's not a phase. It's not going away, but I really am so much on the other side of it to, I feel like I like broke through this wall that I had up that really, you know, kept me in that place of, of not liking my body to pushing through and re- and just absolutely deeply and insanely loving my body. I am fat and I have no fucking qualms. I love my body and I love the way that I look. And there is like always that little voice inside of my head that, you know, when I put on pants that are a plus size, when I like am modeling clothes that are sometimes double XL, triple XL. Um, yeah, my eating disorder really wants to shit on me for that. And I hear that voice in my head, but I just spent so much time. I spent so many years of my life being a slave to that voice. And I really just will not do it. And I know that it's not me. And I know that it's not my disease. And I know that I have to treat it the same way that if some fucking random stranger on the street told me, said to me the things that that voice is saying to me, Mm. I don't care about that stranger on the street. I don't give a shit about that stranger. What is that stranger doing? I don't know. I really don't care. I am a full, wonderful person. And who I am is so much more than what I look like. And so when I have those days, I think that I, I think about the bigger picture and I really just kind of put my foot down and I say, you know what, things are going to be different tomorrow. I'm not going to feel this way tomorrow. This is totally temporary and I'm not going to be a slave to you. And I'm not going to listen to what you're saying. And I'm going to put my mind somewhere else if I really need to, or I'm just going to remember that my true authentic feelings are that I love my body. And I spent my whole life looking at bodies that didn't look like mine, thinking that's the perfect standard of beauty. And a gift that I've gotten through recovery and through program is that, you know what, my preference and when I see women that I think are super beautiful, a lot of times my preference, they're bigger and they don't look like the woman that I really wanted to make myself be. Mm, that's so beautiful. I yeah. You know, one thing in my um, treatment was something called exposure therapy, and it's the only proven way to help eating disorder patients. Which is, and and it sounds like you maybe did this on your own, or maybe someone recommended this to you as well. But it's looking at bodies your size or bigger, and not even looking at them in a way where you admire them at first. That doesn't even matter. I know for me, when when I started, it was it was actually the opposite. It was bleak. It was like, oh, it was, mm-hmm. it was this way of like, I didn't want to things I didn't want. And then the more I looked at them, the more I was able to see myself or, or, um, find parts of them beautiful and then all of them beautiful. But when you're not seeing that, and we often aren't in the media, we're seeing one specific standard of beauty and one body shape, which is, 
you know, often white, thin women, which is, thank God, luckily changing slowly. Of course, we're going <laughs> to yeah. want that or aspire to that because that's all we're seeing. And so to diversify what we're taking in and is it allows you to see yourself in the mirror and recognize it and not not compare it subconsciously. And I, I think that that is really beautiful. And um, I'm so happy that you're you're in the place you, you're in now with that. And you yeah. seem like someone does does dance help you because you seem like someone to me, something I've, I've spoken about here before is I tend to be someone very in my head and, and disconnected from my body because I got so good at ignoring it for so many years. But movement is something that I, I someone who did the podcast once said this phrase of being dancerly and being dancerly mm. is someone who's like aware of their body and does anybody need a banana? And like, I need to stretch and I'm trying to be more dancerly. I'm not a dancer, but admire dancers. So can you talk about how that plays into body image for you? Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, I can tell you right now that I grew up as a dancer and I grew up as a competitive dancer. Like I grew up in the world of dance moms. Like that's not the studio that I went to, but like, I know those women and it's the world of competitive dances, not it's so wonderful and cool and beautiful, but it's a breeding ground for eating disorders. And I really, you know, when I was in high school and I was doing competitive dance, it was fueling my eating disorder. It wasn't necessarily saving me from it. I would say now where I stand is that it saves me from it because I am someone who I just, I got to get out of my head and into my body that is always what I'm trying to do is get out of my head and get into my body because I feel more connected to my body than ever. But for dance, I try and spend my time doing as many meditative activities as I can. And what I mean by that is just an activity where what I'm doing in that moment is the only thing that I'm thinking about. And I'm not thinking about something else. That's actually the way that I found that I became an improviser at UCB. I found improv because as soon as I started doing it, I realized my brain can't be thinking about 10 different things at once. I have to be listening to what my scene partner is saying. I have to be in the moment. And I feel the same way about dance. In that moment, I'm so connected and I'm so... All I really care about is is the combination of what I'm doing, whether it's you know the movement the movement of my body technically according to what the choreography is or how that's connected to my soul and what my you know the artistic element of it. It's the only thing I'm thinking about. And so when I do things like that, I feel very free because I'm I am I'm free of the parts of me that want to say mean things to me. I'm free of the parts of me that want me to focus on something else, you know. Yeah. I love that and I'll guess and you because <laughs> I find this what we're doing right now this podcast I wrote for this column I used to write I wrote something where it was called the title was how podcasting became my meditation and because I usually do these in person but I can't be doing anything else while I'm hosting the podcast. Right. You know, I can just do the one thing. And if I start to think about what I'm doing later, what I'm having for dinner, what, uh, what happened yesterday, I lose my train of thought and I sound silly, right? So I have to just really be here with people. And it made all of my non-recorded conversations deeper. And mm-hmm. for me, journaling is another thing. I wrote this book about journaling that came out in 2016. And so since then, I've been talking about it a lot. And recently i've been thinking about it even more and more and 
my you can't really be doing that many things while you're writing. You know, you're right. just really doing the one thing. And any time, like you said, where you're doing something that takes all of your attention is is really blissful, but also really we should be doing that with everything. You know, I think multitasking, like I think I'm really good at it, but I'm I'm not. And I don't think anyone really is. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean I I struggle with mindfulness, this concept that you know, you're in the, I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm never in the moment, but that's not true. I am, I am in the moment. It's just, it it doesn't come naturally for me to just like move from one moment to the next. I mean, my, I'm such a future tripper, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think we are all are. And I think especially those of us who wanted to detach and get out of the moment, like the moment wasn't safe. So we learned to not Mm -hmm. be in it, you know? Yeah. Um, you speaking of like doing a lot of things like you do you're you seem like a highly creative personality yeah. and you do a lot of different things how do you stay organized oh my god i'm a psycho i am a psycho are you really organized to, oh my god i'm so organized you oh, would throw up wow. if i showed you everything that i do it's insane oh my god um, that's amazing yeah so i need to be organized in order to do my creativity mm-hmm. um I'm very, I have a bunch of different projects going on at any given moment. And I just think that at one point in my life, I figured out that that's the way that I prefer to be. I, I started, I guess I had, I had two short-term full-time jobs coming out of college because I didn't move to LA to be an actor. It was something that I found later. I fully thought that I was going to just be like a, I don't know, like a nine to fiver in some sort of career. Um, out here that just happened to be out here in Los Angeles, like not entertainment oriented whatsoever. And yeah, I think growing I, up in the Midwest, it feels kind of far from us because we don't, yeah, you know, we didn't grow up with it as our industry. Yeah, it just totally wasn't my intention, you know. And mm. I think I had two, two or three short term, full time jobs that I was like, nah, no, I'm not going to do this. And I started working for myself when I was 23. And I was so underqualified. I mean, I can't even tell you how unqualified I was to be doing the work that I was doing. But I'm like a fake it till you make it person. And I'm, I can pitch myself into anything. I can convince anyone that I can do the job that they can do. And even though it's like, it, the process might be terrifying because I've never done it before. Oh man, will I perform? I will make it work. I'm like a, I always say that I have a football coach in my head because, and my therapist and I always call it the football coach versus the drill sergeant. The drill sergeant is like the mean voice in your head that's constantly like yelling at you, trying to motivate you to do certain things. The football coach is just like, you know, Kyle Chandler in Friday Night Lights. He's like stern. And he cares about you, but he's like not gonna let you be lazy and he's gonna, you know, push you to do what you have to do to get the thing done. Yeah. So I have my football coach in my head, um, who's, you know, constantly sort of like pushing me to the next level. But anyway, so I realized when I was really young that I was just gonna be someone who had a bunch of different projects happening all the time. Now, the jobs that I took those full-time jobs is that I was a celebrity personal assistant and an entertainment executive assistant. So those jobs are no joke. And you have to be so 
organized. You have to be 20 steps ahead of your boss. You have to be a psychic, basically. You have to think of everything. You have to be prepared. I would be so bad at that. <laughs> everything. Oh my God. It is no joke. Um, and they will, those kinds of jobs will really whip you into shape. So coming off of those, I was in this like hyper organized because I've been organized my whole life and I was always a really good student and I always sort of had my eye on everything. And I'm not really someone who lets things slip through the cracks, but then going into sort of this like almost graduate school level situation where your entire value of how well you're doing your job is based on how organized you are. I shifted into this phase where now I'm just this like pure organizational psycho. And I've got like, I know exactly where I stand with each of my projects. I know all my deadlines. I have project management software that I pay for, for my life that is like meant for like teams of businesses that I just, I just use for me and like my podcast and my, you know, all of my projects and the dance squad and things like that. Um, yeah, I'm just like, I'm a psych, I'm a psycho truly. So if you had to give a piece of advice, maybe that you learned from that time personal assisting or that you use now to give to, to people to feel more organized who do a lot of things, what would you say? Um, I would say find the way that your life should be organized in order for you to be the most creative. So everyone's different. I, if I, if my house is messy, oh my God, I can't write anything because all I'm mm-hmm. thinking about is that my house is messy. Yep. If I have like an outstanding deadline that I'm you know, up against, if I don't have a clear view of what my priorities are, my mind is cluttered. So I have to stay organized in order to be creative. Other people have other things. But I think my advice would be, don't try and force yourself to be anything that you're not. Just find exactly the way that you need to structure your life in order for creativity to flow naturally. Because it shouldn't be hard. Don't Mm -hmm. let it be hard, you know? Yeah, I relate to that so much. I remember I was in a writing class last year and the teacher said the day before she writes, she works on a new essay, she cleans all of her house, she organizes her computer desktop, she sends, she clears her inbox, she cleans the kitchen, she cleans the fridge. That's her prep work for writing her essay. And I fully relate to that because when I... I'm writing, but I know I really should get back to that email or I should do the admin work or it takes, it's a very different skill set for me and it fully takes me out of the one to, to do the other. And it's, it's so hard for me. Once I'm in the creative spot, I can stay there, but to get into it is quite challenging for me sometimes. And I can really set myself up for success if I just organize. I really think organization is like, the prep work for creativity. And I think that might be across the board. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm certainly not going to say across the board, but I will say that for me, I absolutely have to be, I I just, I have to be organized and things have to be sort of like in their proper place in order for my brain to feel free to create. I will also say that the the marketing work that I'm doing right now and the brand work that I'm doing right now is... um, more creative than it has been in the past, which is really fun. That's like why I'm very excited to have landed these couple of clients is because I get to shift my 
work a little bit into a direction where um, I'm getting to be very creative in these jobs because I've always kind of mentally separated my my artistry from my job. And now, you know, I get those opportunities in there. And so it's interesting because it's like a little bit of a like a creative boot camp where my job right now is to be certainly organized, but also very much to be creative. And so I don't have the flexibility to sort of like put it off the way that I think I can sometimes do in my career. Mm, So I'm having to force my, yeah, I'm having to force myself to be creative in situations where maybe I would have like let it slide or because yeah, 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 I mean, it's hard. It's hard to get into a creative headspace. Yeah. Have you read Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic? No, I need to. It's actually sitting on my bookshelf. Oh, I think you would really love it. And, and she talks about that of like, sometimes it's this elusive thing that kind of hits you when you're, you know, least expecting it, creativity. And sometimes it's just sitting down and being like, I have this deadline and I need to summon it right now. And it yeah. will just happen. And, you know, I listened to a really good podcast episode a couple of weeks ago and they were talking about how artists have constantly been looking for creative constraints and this this quarantine or branding your branding job or whatever it is like creative constraints are all around if you really want to look yeah. at them like a haiku is a creative constraint so there's a lot yeah. you can do when you have constraints on things and limitations and also that can actually lead to increased creativity oh totally. which i think That's is really such a interesting mis- it's such a misconception that creativity like authentic art or you know whatever bullshit you want to say has to come out of someone just like making something up out of thin air and that you're if you're partnering with a business or you know you're you add this sort of like money factor into it where there's like the suits telling you that your creative has to include x y and z that it's it's false or it's like not as valuable and i think that is insane i mean we are constantly looking for creative constraints think about it as like a writing prompt or right um, you know, some sort of creative assignment where you have to work within certain boundaries. Like it doesn't yeah. make it doesn't make it any less valuable. Other than organization, do you have any other writing tips or processes for writing or um, creativity that mm. help you? I'm a big fan of like blocking my time, and also, you know. I think I, I think the thing that's most beneficial to me at at my core is that I'm incredibly observant and I try to be constantly observing my own behavior and my own what my needs are so like th- actually this one of my new clients that I have is a great example um because I'm working on I'm I'm very used to working solo but for this new client I'm working with a team that everyone pretty much except for me is based on the east coast and so I've been trying to figure out how to batch my days for when I spend my time working on this client. And so at first my thought was, well, I'll work on them early in the morning so that I'll be on their time zone. And then now I'm starting to realize, well, I don't know how much I'm getting done while that's happening because we're all sitting on Slack and I'm getting like messages and asked questions and emails that are kind of interrupting my work. And so now I'm trying to figure out, okay, well, maybe I block off a certain amount of time for them when everyone else is online. And then I wait until they all log off. And then I can spend the rest of my day doing work when I know that no one's going to bother me. So 
And that's, I've been, I mean, I've been working with them for about a month. And so that's, I've just been trying to be super observant every day to say what is going to be my most effective way. So I think that maybe that might be my biggest piece of advice is number one, just like, especially, oh my God, especially when it comes to writing or creativity of any kind, just, just do it, just put it out there and then you can edit, 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 edit. But it's so, you know, people that don't actually do it or don't do the work because they're afraid of sort of like this perfectionism in their head. Listen, the first thing that you write, the first thing that you create, it's going to be trash and you're going to edit it. You're, you're going to spit it out and then you're going to edit, 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 edit. And then by the time you get done with it, like you're going to hate it and then you're going to love it. And it's like, it's going to change and all this stuff. So definitely just do it, but then also just constantly be observing yourself to see if you're putting yourself in a, a situation where your work it's just not conducive to your work and make sure to put yourself in a situation that is conducive to your work. Yeah. And it's a big experiment to figure that out. Do you know the um, John Cage, Sister Karina Kent art rules? No. Oh my God. You're going to love them, Hannah. I just posted them on my Instagram a couple of days okay, ago. I'll, I'll, I'll send them to you. Um, but there's one of them that says, you know, look at everything as an experiment. And I think if you can look at, it's a good way to look at life, but I think it's a really great way to look at creativity of, you know, this wasn't necessarily a failure or a, a, you know, it's just a shitty first draft. And I think if we can look at that and, and ideate and change and grow, like that's being a person, that's relationships, that's it's progress. And I think that's why we're all here, you know, yeah. to, to, and it's not linear either. I think that's the other part that can be hard for our little ego minds to. Yeah. I mean, Ego mind is like a good way to put it too, because I feel like we all have it, but I, I do feel like I've like really beaten mine down enough because now I'm in a position where, especially when I'm working on a team, I love to just like pump out a first draft that I, of, of anything, whatever it is that I feel like totally like B minus about and like send it to someone else and just be like, look at this kind of pile of trash and like, let's get your eyes on it. Cause I know that you'll contribute something that's great. And then I'll take whatever you contributed and then we'll make it into an A plus. Yeah. I love yeah. that. That's such a great, that, and that's a really confident mindset because I think I've been in the mindset before where, and sometimes I often still am where I'm just like, oh, I can't even, I don't even want to touch this because it's going to mess with my self-worth to be with this right now. And yeah. there's this Ira Glass quote about where your taste exceeds your ability, right? Like, mm -hmm. and that's really uncomfortable, you know? But I think yeah. that's where you have to push past of like, this isn't an A plus and that's okay, but I can maybe make it an A or closer if I try, you know? Yeah, yeah. If you try, if you collaborate, if you ask for help. Yeah, totally. And I mean, listen, we can't be A plus at everything. Like I, I'm not going to lie to you. I was kind of one of those kids that was really good at everything that I tried growing up. And I think that once I hit a certain level of maybe going to college or something, encountering things that I wasn't so good at was a little bit of a shock at first. But now I'm in a place where I mean, I'm not good at everything. I'm good at a lot of stuff. And that definitely feeds into my confidence. The stuff that I'm not good at, I can usually figure it out. 
But I mean, for God's sakes, I like started trying to learn the piano, like the keyboard at the beginning of quarantine. And I was like a second grader, like, do, 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 like single, like I couldn't hold my hands. Right. I couldn't like, I was like, you know what? I bet if I really, really tried hard, I could be good at the piano. But like, this is not a talent that I was born with. And what? ever. Who cares, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you don't let that dictate your self-worth, you know? Oh, yeah. It doesn't no, say no, no, anything no, no, about no, no. about you and I think yeah, that's I this is I mean, here's my rule. Nothing that I produce is ever going to have an effect on my self-worth. Ever. My self-worth is derived entirely from how I treat the people around me. Mm, I love that. Yeah. I love that so much because I've been thinking a lot about that lately with with output in general, but especially with social media, which I wanted to talk to you about because you seem like someone who does that quite well. And <sighs> it's interesting because every time there's, I can see myself get a hit of dopamine from a work thing or from a social media thing. And I can also see the other end of that of, a chunk of people unfollowing me or mm. a rejection in my writing or these these things that really sting. And I know that both of those aren't healthy. And I don't like the way that either of those can affect my mood. And I'm trying to not let those highs... The highs are too high, right? And the lows take me too low. And I'm trying to just uncouple that from... Yeah my self-worth and and it because at the end of the day all of those things are fleeting and it's like the Jim Carrey quote of like get rich and famous so you realize that it's not it right it's like yeah am I being it's not it's not the body it's not the person I'm dating it's not the career or writing the thing it's was I a kind human being did I help another person today you know totally and that that's the only way to to really attach any worth to because that's the only sustainable thing we have. Yeah. I think also, I mean, look around at the world that we're in right now. I think that this world can like really, really make me sad. And I think that if there's anything... I I have to really limit myself on how much of the news I consume and how much I let myself go down a path of thinking about the state of our world because I I don't like what's happening in our country. I mean, I'm just going to like leave it at that. I'm not going to go into some crazy diatribe, but I feel like there's a lack of empathy and a lack of kindness and a lack of respecting each other as as human beings, you know, all that really important core good stuff. Yeah. And I have to be careful because I can get very like sad about that. I can get very upset and I can feel very helpless. But mm-hmm. I think if anything, you know, it's it everything that's happening around us is pointing that out and I hope that other people like me who feel very sad about that that they feel more empowered to think about that right now where I hope that there are people out there having that thought of why why am I pretending like my productivity is going to be my self-worth when it is just really about how I'm treating people and it is really how I'm contributing to the goodness of the world. Mm, I love that. I love that so much. Um, Okay. This is a bit of a pivot, but talking back about material things. (laughs) Okay. 
spaces are so important to me. And you seem yeah. to be someone who has such an eye for design and beautiful things and just a really thoughtful aesthetic. And I feel like spaces are more important for everyone right now. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about your space or curating a space or your your love for interior design and just maybe some things that people can do right now to brighten their space a bit? Yeah. Oh my God. I would love to talk about this. So I have always really loved interior design. I've never had a desire to be an interior designer because I don't care about what other people like. I'm just going to be honest. I care about what I like. I don't care about what you like. So I'm not going to design your home for you because I'm not going to put anything in there that you like because I don't care. But I started my vintage furniture business last year sort of out of a rebellion against my marketing work just because I was feeling really stunted. And I think that I've like found my love for it again. But at the time, I was feeling super stunted and, and I wanted to do something that... I just wanted to see if I could be successful in something that was adjacent to something that I'd always been really interested in. And again, was shifting me into a position where I was getting out of my head and into my body. Because when I had my business, House of Faust, which I do still technically have, I just don't operate very much anymore... I was restoring a lot of furniture. So my days involved me sourcing, picking up furniture, and then using my hands. And it was amazing. I didn't have to... I was barely on the computer. I didn't have to think about strategy. I didn't have to think about anything. But so anyways, that sort of pivoted me into a place once I kind of had to stop operating where I still wanted to be in this world of interior design because I re- it's just an art form that I love so, 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 so much. And I have found over the past couple of years that my space really dictates my mood. So I... Oh, man. I mean, I just love it so much. I love helping people find a space or design a space that makes them feel really good. So I think my advice for everyone who is at home right now and not totally in love with their space is, you know, think outside the box. I think I'm, I know a lot of people who are renters. I'm a renter. I've painted every wall in my house. I think sometimes we like to think, you know, oh, I won't get my security deposit back or, or this or that. Just do whatever you need to do. Paint your walls, be careful about it. Of course, ask your landlord if you need to experiment change a room every six months if you want to. You know, find find ways that you're constantly sort of treating your space like a work of art because that's that's where I stand. Is that I'm I'm someone who my house right now I I love. I love it so much. And yet I'm like dying to move because I really want a new blank slate. Like I want a new You could do mine. <laughs> I totally will because I'm definitely not going to move. I love my house. Are you kidding? It's okay, great. great. Like, I'm not a psycho. I got um, your blank canvas. <laughs> but and your I taste have... seems like it aligns with mine so you can just do yours. Okay, good. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, but I guess some like so I always come at interior design from like it is just one of my artistic passions and I really like I just love decorating a space. But some practical tips that I can give to people for your space, especially if you're staying in it a lot right now and it's driving you nuts, is invest in some good furniture. 
we grew up in the Ikea era. And I think learning about vintage furniture and learning about sort of the way that furniture used to be made is really fun and interesting. We see a lot of these, like, I mean, every... Okay, you can totally edit this out if you're one of these people, but it's like I listen to every podcast and it's like article furniture is advertising with them. And listen, they're great. They're totally amazing. I don't even but know not what that is. Oh, okay, good. God, they are they they advertise on like it's like new um like Danish, like mid-century style furniture. And okay. I'm sure it's great quality, but not everyone can afford it because it is pretty expensive. But you can still get that really good quality looking into vintage furniture and used furniture and things like that. I'm also a huge sustainability freak. So I try almost never to buy anything new. But so invest in some really good furniture pieces. See, use Facebook Marketplace, use Craigslist, use OfferUp, use Letgo, use all these places. People are constantly letting go of really amazing high quality furniture You went through pieces. that so fast. I'm so glad this is recorded. And oh my I God. feel like I need to be writing those down. No, it's fine. We got it. We got it. We'll put it in the show notes. It's fine. <laughs> but go on all of those sort of like used sources for you can find some really amazing pieces and unique furniture pieces for a pretty low cost. Now, when you're using... Because when you're changing out those big pieces of furniture in your space, oh, it makes such a difference. So invest in some furniture that you really like, that you really care about. Graduate from Ikea. Graduate from Target. No shade, but it just really helps you feel like you have something unique and interesting. Another tip I would say is that you could use the um, principles of feng shui to change the the arrangement of your space. Yes, we love feng shui here. Yeah, it's an amazing Chinese art. It's incredible. It's like... um, We've done a couple episodes. One of my dear friends is a feng shui consultant and she's done a couple episodes. Oh, amazing. Okay, great. Tell us more. She definitely knows more than me because all I know really are just some um, some basic principles that you can find online just like through years of my mom you know, in all of her clients, like teaching me those things, but use feng shui, look up some of the principles. There's tons of resources online. Um, I'm sure the feng shui consultant that was a guest on the podcast has like so many resources on her Instagram or her website or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she's written a couple of books about uh, it's my friend, Angie Choi, and I'll, I'll link to her episodes. One episode was her coming to my apartment in New York when I first moved in and we did a live um, version of her feng shuiing my place which is oh my god hell yeah i have to listen to that that is like right up my alley it's super super old but yeah it's It's somewhere on the internet (laughs) yeah um yeah do that change change the way that things are are aligning in in your place um and then i guess my my last tip would be become a houseplant person i'm Mm -hmm. such a houseplant person it's so satisfying to take care of something that's living and breathing um and makes your space feel so much more like you're connected to nature i always recommend if you're someone that's a plant killer get a pothos p-o-t-h-o-s if you're like looking this up right now as you're listening to this they are the easiest houseplants they barely require any light they do require water but they will tell you when they need water because they will look really sad and sort of droopy they can bounce back from anything if you really are truly a terrible black thumb kind of person i'm gonna google that yes you can keep a pothos alive anyone can keep a pothos alive Wow, cool. I'm I'm just like cur- I'm literally doing it right now because I'm curious of what it 
what it looks like. Um, I, I, I mean, I have a pretty green thumb, so I'm like kind of okay with it, but I would like to just like have one or two easy ones, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. I have, gosh, it's been a while since I've counted, but I have between my like two outdoor spaces. Oh yeah. These are great. I, I had one of these. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're the classic houseplant. Yeah. Um, I have something along the lines of like 90 to a hundred houseplants. Wow. I know. That's amazing. I had so many in New York and they're, they're not going to make it here. So they're oh, all, they're all going away. Fresh. And start fresh. Yeah. They, it's, yeah. Juice isn't worth the squeeze on taking those across. Totally. The I will say that my, like my secret that everyone who's listening can totally have is Mickey Hargitay. Um, What's that? It is a plant store nursery in West Hollywood. It's Mariska Hargitay's brother. And it's amazing. I remember the first time I went, it was like, I could only describe it as like a positive panic attack. Like I was so... I love that term. But they're so... Like I was like, I like couldn't breathe, but it was because I was so excited to be there. Um, But they're super affordable and, and an amazing selection. Cool. Thank you. God, this I, this part feels very self-serving, but I'm here for it. <laughs> um, oh my God, I have a million more things to ask you. So let's do these as quick fire. How does that okay. sound? Yeah, totally. Right. What's the best thing you've eaten in the last week? Oh my God, the best thing I've eaten in the last week. I've been like, I've been getting so much delivery, which is like not usually my MO, but probably yeah, like sushi delivery. What's your go-to sushi? Well, sugarfish, duh. But they're like not really delivering right now, which means I. But I mean, like, what do you order? Oh, I really like actual sushi where it's just like salmon on top of rice. Mm-hmm. Um, sashimi. Really, uh, fish. No, that's not. Sashimi is just the sh- fish. Yeah, it's it's like nigiri. I think is what it's yes, called. Yes, yes, yes. But truly, just like fish on good quality fish on top of rice with wasabi and ginger. Like that's all I need. So good. Now I'm craving sushi. I haven't had Ugh, it always like, since I've been here. What's your favorite place in LA? Okay, this is so weird, <laughs> but I'm just going to answer this. Other than the plants place. <laughs> okay. So I really love my neighborhood. Mount Washington is the most beautiful place on earth, in my opinion. And there's tons of... I love to walk up. I live right at the base of the hill. So I love to just go up my street all the way to the top of the hill and walk around the neighborhoods and look at all of the architecture because Mount Washington is a weird hub for a lot of the famous mid-century architects and their apprentices built houses up there. So I like to walk those neighborhoods, but I have already decided what my next home is going to be. And it's this house that's like just a rental, not even like buying or anything like that. It's a house that was up for rent three years ago that I saw with my roommate at the time and I loved it and she hated it. And Mm -hmm. so we didn't move forward with it, but I have decided that I will, I hate the word manifest, but I'm like, I will manifest that house one day. Like that will be my house one day. May I be the roommate? (laughs) I haven't even seen it, but I'm... It's amazing. I mean, it's so specific. And I think a lot of other people would be like, what? Like, I don't think I love this. It's it's just like my home. I'm dying to see it. I'm so curious. And so obviously someone else lives there right now and they have probably seen me. But what I like to do is I like to walk up the hill and I like to go visit my future house. Have you knocked on the door and like gotten their situation? Like, do you know, like, are I, they I have there for not. the long haul? I have a, I have like a financial plan in place for when it's going to be, when I'm going to like feel good about moving there. Cause it would be like, 
a definitely a little bit of a financial stretch. And so I kind of have this plan in place. And so I wrote in my journal a letter to the person who lives there to just like slide in their mailbox of when the time is right that just says, Hey, I visited this house when it was available, probably before you rented it a few years ago. If you ever move out, this is my phone number. Let me know. And it's just sitting in my journal. And so I'm like waiting for when I hit those financial goalposts to rip it out and put it in the mailbox. <laughs> I love that. That is very cool. I it's love It's so that. weird, but, and I, I'm, you can't really see what I really like about it is that it's very secluded and you can't really see it from the street. Like it's got a big fence and it's kind of up on this hill. So when I say I go see it, I mean, I'm like peeking at the roof from like one strange angle. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if like maybe they've ever noticed that I like walk by it all the time. (laughs) Yeah. That's very cool. I love that story. Yeah. We mentioned social media a little bit, but you seem to to do it quite well. Do you have boundaries with it? What What's your greatest lesson on social media? Oh yeah, you know it's so interesting because I think I'm, I think I'm still learning. Obviously, I'm you know I'm a social media professional. I do social media for all of my clients right now. Like that's one of my offerings. Um, and where I stand right now is that I'm doing social media for all of them. You know, I could answer this from a business perspective and how I would recommend other businesses to use it. But personally, I have like no strategy. I have no strategy at all. I post whatever I want, whenever I want. And you know, it's funny because I get a lot of comments from friends of mine. I've got, or I guess I should say friends that I ran into like pre-quarantine. I was just something that I was noticing the past like six months that I would run into people and they'd be like, wow, you're really on fire on Instagram right now. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Like, so there's obviously something about my profile that's resonate or my content that's resonating with people right now that I'm unaware of. Cause to me, I haven't changed anything that I've done. I will say I did recently shoot a very big commercial that I had to archive a lot of my posts for <laughs> because I'm like, naked all over my account and usually in like referencing some sort of like dominatrix accessory that I just bought for fun. So I had to archive a bunch of my posts, but then I've got all these sitting in the queue of me like in these teeny tiny bikinis or just being, you know, naked and insane. But I would say like my rule is I post a lot of pictures of myself, either like I I post a lot of pictures of my body and oftentimes like wearing tiny bikinis or almost no clothes or like nearly nude. And my rule really is just that if I like it, I post it and I refuse to not post it. If there's like a part of me that is shitting on the way that I look. Like for example, I do modeling for my friend's company called Fashion Brand Company. And I had a friend of mine take a bunch of pictures of me in a bikini that she has right now called the teeny tiny bikini that truly is the smallest thing I've ever put on my body. And the fact that it just like, it's pointless that it exists because it does not cover it anything. And I have all these pictures of me where I'm like, you can see every unflattering angle and all of the cellulite. And I like, can't wait for this commercial to go up and like, for me to be able to unarchive all these posts and like post this like cellulite picture. (laughs) I love that. That's really cool. Yeah. 
I think social media, I've been thinking about this a lot. It's like, it was designed to be in the moment and what we feel like doing. And those posts always do best. It's the calculated ones. And the and, and I know there's that is part of it, especially now from a business perspective and for brands. And it's different than it was when it started. But I think at its best, it's that. It's something you feel excited about. Totally. And I think that we need to keep in mind that it is something that you feel excited about. Like I went through, oh God, just the most debilitating depressive episode in the fall. And I reached out to a friend about it. And he said to me, I mean, he was joking, but he said to me, he's like, well, everything seems fine on Instagram. And I wanted to punch him in the face (laughs) because I'm like, I'm telling you things are not okay. and you know, that's because I don't want to post about how sad I'm feeling on Instagram. I'm not excited about how sad I'm feeling. I'm excited about how my ass looks in a bikini. So like, that's what you're seeing on Instagram, but that doesn't mean that that's what my life looks like right now. Yeah. It's just one, it's a snapshot, literally. Totally. Totally. And I think that sometimes we like to think that people really craft their social media presences to be the highlight reel. And sometimes they do, but also sometimes it really is as simple as like, yeah, I'm excited about this thing. And so I posted it because I want, I want to share it and I want the world to see it. I'm not necessarily crafting anything. It just, I don't want to post a picture of me crying on my grid. (laughs) Right. Right. Because you don't, when you do that, then you, you're opening yourself up for a conversation about that, that you might not be ready to have or with those people or with that many people. Oh my God. And let me tell you, I unsolicited advice or feedback is my greatest pet peeve. I do not care what anyone thinks unless I ask them for it. And I have really had to place a lot of boundaries around that because unsolicited feedback and advice is kind of part of human nature, but it drives me insane. And I don't want your opinion unless I ask for it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I just don't. So what's your thing that you're looking forward to most or you miss after quarantine? I'm like a real bougie bitch. So I am going to throw some money in a savings account and then I'm going to blow it at like a day at the spa. Mm, yeah. Um, oh my God. Like massage, body wrap, massages facials. so much. Uh, I was just thinking about so wanting hard. to go to the Korean spa. I'm oh. in desperate need to s- scrub because I've been outside so much. Yeah. Wait, which one do you go to? I, well, I, I mean, I didn't live come. here, but <laughs> I, when I've come, I always like to take a trip. I think it's called Olympia. I didn't know there were more oh, than one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, there's plenty. You should try Hugh Spa when they... Okay, great. I up. need a there. full... Maybe we can go together. I think it's the oh most my gosh, bonding yes. friend experience because you're like stripped of all the things that make you feel like a person. You just like literally yeah. have a number and a robe and you're not wearing makeup and it's like oh, it's such a bonding experience. Oh my God. It's so fun. We definitely have to go together. That's great. That's the best one. Hugh Spa. Done. That's um, our hang. But I think I'm, I'm pretty fortunate. I mean, I'm like the most grateful person on the face of this planet. I live a very blessed life and I'm very, very lucky, like struggles and all. I don't care. I live in an incredible life, but I have a yard that is pretty, it's, it's pretty big. And so I feel comfortable with certain social interactions, inviting people over to stay their distance in my yard. It feels pretty low risk. So I think I'm mostly just, I I feel like I have a lot of one-on-one connection, even in person with people. 
I want to go into a crowd where I'm sweating and I'm dancing until four in the morning. That is like the thing that I'm really like, I, I want those experiences again, because I think I'm lucky enough to be able to maintain the one-on-one individual relationships throughout all of this, but I really want to perform. I'm dying to do another foolhardy, which is another sort of like night of dance and art and performance that I host with two of my creative partners that our capacity is 250 people. And it's very much a group experience that is not happening again for the next year. Those are the kinds of things that I'm really looking forward to doing again. Yeah, I know. I, I was just talking to a friend about like, I want that feeling of like sloshing around into your spot at a concert. And just, yeah. there's, there's a lot of that, that, there's a void with. Yeah. I also just think, you know, I'm really lucky and, and I'm at the end of the day, not necessarily, I'm, I might not at all be affected by this pandemic. I might never get it. I'm certainly not financially struggling at the moment. I don't know if I, if I will, if all of this work will go away, but for the most part, I'm probably going to walk out of this unscathed. And I just want the opportunity I'm hoping that I get the opportunity very soon and I think I will to give back and to help people that this is really affecting them. And I'm just looking forward to seeing how the people, how people come together to change the parts of our society that are being exposed right now as being exploitative, as being unfair, to see if there's something that we can do to change that. Yeah, I agree. What's your greatest lesson on friendship? Be friends with people that you're obsessed with. Mm, Oh, that's a good one. What about family? Greatest lesson on family? Break the cycle. And I don't know what that cycle is, but do it. Because we have, we pass things down from parent to child. And sometimes we don't know that we're doing it. And you have an opportunity in your lifetime to break the cycle. It's like something that my mom is doing with us. It's something that I'm doing with my parents. Break the cycle. So good. What about spirituality? What do you think happens when we die? Where are you with that? Oh, oh, I have like a very, I'm like very connected to my higher power. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone should have their own spiritual experience and their opinions. And I really admire a lot of religions because I love the tradition and the the ritual behind a lot of those things. I don't subscribe to any religions. My spirituality essentially is in abbreviated form. There is another realm in which all of our souls come from. And there are plenty of them on what we'll call the other side. And they choose to come through in certain lifetimes, but uh, sometimes they don't. And so my higher power, I call them my board of directors. They are a collection of souls that I've known in past lives. I've like served on the board of directors for them when they're in lifetimes and I'm not. That they're my like collaborators and they really want what's best for me and they want me to live my most authentic and productive life. And they want me to have everything that I'm meant to have and complete all of my objectives and live a truly authentically spiritual life. And I collaborate with them because they have a much better vantage point than me. And so we're constantly in this sort of like back and forth. 
And I believe that when I die, my soul goes back to the other side and has opportunities to choose to come back in another lifetime or to spend time on the other side serving as a higher power for one of the other souls in my circle. Mm, so well said and very cool. Yeah, yeah, I've got like a whole philosophy. I like always joke that I'm an up and coming cult leader, which I'm not, but like there's a part of me that totally is. Like I want to like build a house with like a, on a compound and all this, that like my friends can come stay out one day and like have an army of children and you know, all this stuff. But yeah, my like spiritual beliefs are so, I'm open to changing them at any given moment, but I feel like I could write like a full cult leader manifesto. I love that. <laughs> I wanted to. Um, well, the way we always end is recommending things. So sometimes I frame this as, you know, you're trapped on a deserted island. You can only bring one of the following or these can be things that you've taken in recently, but it's really just a way to recommend things. So book, music, podcast, food, TV show, place, anything you want to recommend. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay, you know what? I'm just going to go trash with this. I'm a huge fan of The Real Housewives. Every franchise, every episode, I've seen it multiple times. I think it is the highest art and the most complete trash. And whatever you think about those shows, I think you should put those thoughts aside and you should watch them. It's perfect for quarantine. These women are incredible and insane and so layered and complex. and. You can find a lot of the episodes on Hulu. If you're not a Bravo head, if you're not a Real Housewives head, start with The Real Housewives of New York. Just watch it. It'll give you endless entertainment. I love The Real Housewives. I love that my mom is very into them. I haven't seen any of them. But one, oh my night, God. one night in in Brooklyn, my friends were like, we, we're going to get you in. We're going to like, let's watch. And we watched like an episode and I was just like guys I'm so bored I don't know who any of these people are I can see I love that you love this but it, I think it's really something you have to like yeah I needed well, some coaching I, <laughs> yeah I have a Real Housewives tattoo that is the truth I really do have one that's like a tattoo in dedication to the Real Housewives but I'm working on like a quarantine project because I I have a podcast that is just very uh, very similar to this. It's it's you know very conversational, very fun. It doesn't have a lot of direction necessarily. Not saying that you don't have direction, but you know it's just like not tethered to anything besides me. But I have this idea that during quarantine, even though I've seen every episode of The Real Housewives of every franchise, I'm going back and I'm watching them all, and I'm making a comprehensive list of the hits of like the really good ones so that if you're a huge fan, you'll appreciate it. If you're a newbie, it's like the good ones to get in on. And I would like to do another podcast eventually where we just go through and recap the hits. And then there will be a, like a comprehensive list that lives out there so that people, you know, I've done the work of watching like hundreds of episodes. And so if you want to get into it, here are the good ones. <laughs> what a service to the world. Oh, I'm just trying. I'm I'm just trying to help people. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to recommend outside of housewives? Mm, I would say I've been getting into Joe Dispenza meditations in quarantine, mm -hmm. and they've really helped. The I don't space really, between the space. <laughs> yes, I don't really fuck with a guru. I think that they're all like trouble. But I really like this guy. I like his 
principles. I do, I read Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, and then I do the associated meditations, which are usually 30 to 60 minutes every day. I never thought I was the kind of person that could meditate for that long. But within it, you're doing all of these sort of steps that I think are pulling from a ton of different principles of therapy and spirituality and self care and vulnerability practices um, that are that I, I think that any professional would be like, yeah, yeah, this is, this is good. You know, in this moment where he's having you do this thing that seems kind of woo woo, you're really just practicing non-attachment or you're practicing letting go of expectations and things like that. So Joe Dispenza meditations and materials, I think have really helped me keep sane in quarantine. Cool. Any yeah. book or, or food or anything else you want to recommend? Um, I'm a real nerd. I love to read sci-fi novels. And so anything by John Scalzi is a real page turner if you're into sci-fi novels. Cool. And like your favorite, favorite food, um, last meal sort of a food? Well, it would be sushi, but I already talked about that. So um, my mom used to make these every year on my birthday growing up. We called them chicken puffs. You take two of the little triangle like crescent roll squares and, and make them into your, you, they're triangles. And so then you make them oh, into yeah. a square. And then you take shredded chicken, shredded cheddar and chives, onions and cream cheese and sort of make like a weird little mash and then wrap the dough around them and bake them. And they're called chicken puffs and they're amazing. They're really good comfort food. That's hilarious because I was just talking about this Midwestern food. That's the only thing my mom knows how to make that also involves crescent rolls in an interesting yes. capacity. <laughs> it's called taco pie. And let me just walk you through it real quick. The bottom layer is crescent roll. And then you've got some like, I don't know, probably there's like sour cream cheese involved. There's a row of Doritos involved, not quite sure where, and probably heavy on the cheese. But like that, that interesting crescent roll usage might be a Midwestern thing. Oh my God. Crescent rolls <laughs> are a gift to us all. They're like the a Midwestern gift. brioche. Totally. Totally. <laughs> um, that's hilarious. Well, this is a delight. You're lovely. Thanks for doing this. Is there anything oh, else that you, you want to share? Um, I guess I'll just like plug myself a little bit. Um, I have a podcast. It. I have a podcast called Confidential. It started on a pretty good pace right before quarantine and then it, things got a little wonky but I just recorded a bunch of episodes so we will be going back next week to having new episodes every Monday it's really fun you get to hear me talk about how obsessed with myself I am and I my goal is surprisingly not selfish it's hopefully that it's contagious for everyone else so it's really fun and I think that's it for now cuz all of my other projects are kind of on quarantine hold so well, we always end with a deep breath that we let out together. You Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Inhale. Let it out. <sighs> <sighs> thank you. That was great. Yay! Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. This is such a joy. Okay. That was my episode with Hannah. She's great. Follow her on all of social media. She has so many handles and they're all so great. So keep in touch with her. I think she's so wonderful. And 
If you liked this episode, go back into the archive if you're new and I will be back in a couple weeks. If you want to join Creative Underdogs, I would love to have you. And now you're going to hear from Danielle from Four Sigmatic. We have this really interesting conversation. Four Sigmatic is this wellness company that's well known for its delicious mushroom coffee. But if you've been listening to this podcast for any period of time, you know that I've been using Four Sigmatic and their products not just their coffee, outside of their coffee. They have so many different products, which you'll hear Danielle and I talk about for years. And I genuinely love them and use them all the time. Right now, chaga is my favorite functional mushroom. The compounds in chaga have antioxidant properties and play a role supporting your immune system functioning properly, which is cool. Their products taste amazing, not like you're drinking mushroom flavored coffee. It tastes really great and doesn't leave me jittery or crashing. And what's cool is that Four Sigmatic products are all organic and vegan and gluten-free. And every single batch is tested by a third party for heavy metals and allergens and bad bacteria and yeast and molds and anything not great like that to ensure the purity and the safety of it, which is really nice. So you know that you're getting the highest quality coffee and mushrooms possible. Best of all, Four Sigmatic stands behind their products unconditionally with a 100% money back guarantee. I've worked out an exclusive offer for Let It Out podcast listeners on their best-selling Lion's Mane coffee. This is just for Let It Out podcast listeners. You can receive up to 39% off their best-selling Lion's Mane coffee bundles, which is my favorite, the one I was talking about earlier. To claim this deal, you must go to foursigmatic.com slash Katie, K-A-T-I-E. This offer is not available on their regular website. So go to foursigmatic.com slash Katie. That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com slash Katie, K-A-T-I-E. And fuel your productivity and creativity with some delicious mushroom coffee full discount applied at checkout thank you so much for sigmatic i was i had a blog called the wellness wonderland back in the day and i was one of the first people in america to try the products he sent me some and i was like this is so funny and strange mushrooms and that was in 2013 oh my gosh that's i know so it's a real full circle moment. You know, you guys have sponsored the podcast for for years on and off. And I yeah. I don't I've never said this on the podcast before, but I almost worked for you guys full time a couple of years ago. No and way. Yeah. After I interviewed Tarot for the podcast, he was in New York and I had him on as a guest and it was a really fun conversation. And he was like, oh, I think we have a position open. And I I interviewed for this position and and I ended up, you know, doing my my own thing and not doing it, but it seemed like such a great company to work for. So how long have you been there and what has your experience been working for the company? Yeah. So I've been there about a little over two years, Mm -hmm. which feels like five, but it's only been two and a half. Um, And, you know, it's really been an interesting and exciting time to be part of the company. And I never thought I would work for a brand before. This is my first time working for a company. Like I'm an herbalist and nutritionist and I teach mycology here at our grad school for herbal medicine in Boulder. And so I've always same done my own thing. 
And it was just this really crazy alignment of timing and things in my life falling into place. And Four Sigmatic kind of presented itself to me. Similarly, I had a connection at the company and um, they were looking for a national educator. And since then, I've worn like pretty much every hat in the company. I laugh with my colleagues that I've been on every team except uh, finance so far. (laughs) Oh my God. But I was our formulator for a little while. I helped with, in the beginning, I was helping with all the technical questions that would come into customer service. You know, people asking, like, I have this weird disease or ailment or condition, or what are these constituents in the mushrooms? And so I would, you know, step in to answer those and then started doing our education and traveling all the time, but was also trying to make our recipes. So I was like traveling through TSA with all these jars of unlabeled mushroom powders and my scales. Ah. <laughs> it was like a whole operation. So yeah, right now I kind of represent, um, my title is national educator, which also kind of spans across a lot of things, but it's really, uh, education is, is everything, you know, we're working with ingredients that a lot of people, especially more in the mainstream, which is where we're trying to go, never heard of. So it's finding outlets. Tara and I are writing a book right now, which is exciting. You know, a lot of podcasts and social and videos and like all sorts of, you know, newsletters, just any creative outlet I can think of to get people excited about living a life on mushrooms. (laughs) I love it. So what do you usually say to someone who you maybe meet and you're like, oh yeah, this is what I do. Who's new to mushrooms? Like what is your elevator speech or to someone who's listening to this podcast right now. And most people, you know, probably heard my conversation with tarot or, you know, I've heard me rave about mushrooms for years, but like, I'm curious what you say to someone new or someone about what your job is even. Yeah. It depends how new, like when I ask someone, um, what they think of when they hear the word mushroom, that kind of sets the stage and allows me to meet them where they're at. And so mm-hmm. that was something I really practiced in, in working one-on-one in a clinical setting was no matter what someone was dealing with, I could have all these different ideas for a nutrition plan and different herbs to put them on. And those things would never work if it was completely foreign. So it's like, how do we meet someone exactly where they're at? And it's the same thing with talking about fungi. So, you know, if someone's like, when I think of mushrooms, I think of like the portobello that... I had instead of a burger last week, you know, and that's like the extent of their knowledge. I really, I I try to zoom out and put functional mushrooms into an understandable category. And so the first thing is really understanding that fungi are their own kingdom. So, so often we think that they're a lower form of plant or a vegetable, and it's actually a biological kingdom, right? So just as we're part of the animal kingdom. There's the plant kingdom. Fungi are their separate kingdom. And it's massive. We're still really just on the brink of discovering how much potential this kingdom has to offer for our bodies, for the earth, for alternatives to a range of different building materials, to cleaning up toxic waste. I mean, they are so incredible in what they can do. And so you know, just, just kind of pulling back the curtain and saying, this is a, this is a massive kingdom. Although we don't know exactly how many species are in here. We do know that there's at least six times as many fungi as all plants on earth. So just to draw the scale, right? We know, think of like all the plants, you know, there's six times as many fungi. And so 
um, the category that we focus on at Four Sigmatic is this small subsect of mushrooms. They primarily grow on trees and they're called functional mushrooms. And um, they're nothing new. They're, they're these species that have been used by cultures all across the world for some of them up to 5,000 years um, as both food and medicine. And so what we're doing is really reviving this tradition and putting them in a format that makes sense for the Western 2020 life. Yeah, that's true. that makes so much sense and is, is so cool about what you guys do. I'm curious, you know, from the time that I started using Four Sigmatic to now, there are so many products, so many new products. And, you know, I, I just got a new shipment myself this week and there's this beauty pomegranate drink that is so good. And there's just so, such a robust catalog of items now. What is your process for creating new products? And I would love to know what some of your favorites are right now. Yeah, absolutely. So we've gotten really excited with creating all of these new products. And rather than it being overwhelming, it's always about looking at what you already do. So Mm -hmm. what does your daily routine look like? And then finding, we want to offer a better for you option each Mm -hmm. step of the way. So whether you drink matcha or coffee, or you do something to unwind at the end of the night, whether it's a glass of red wine or something sweet, maybe you make protein shakes in the day, or you cook a lot. We want to create a product that works for your routine and your lifestyle that's enhanced by the world's most nutrient dense foods. And so, yeah, I'll definitely tell you about a few of my favorites, which change every day. And I always have to say that what works for me doesn't necessarily work for anyone else listening. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, this is something, you know, this is like one of the biggest difference between Eastern and Western medicine is the understanding that the each body in more of an Eastern lens, each body is really unique and has a different constitution. And that is part of that is based on where we live, what we eat, how much we exercise. And so the whole foods that we're fueling our body with, even if you know you and I say are dealing with a really similar symptom, let's say we're both getting tummy aches every day. I live at 7,000 feet up in the mountains and you're at sea level. So inherently your body's going to have more moisture and I'm going to be a, a bit drier. And so the right mushroom or the right herb that we take is going to be different, even though we might be experiencing a really mm. similar thing. We know that every body is different and you hear that, like, just listen to your body. But when you really get into the science of it, let's take certain herbs, for example, when you look at We'll, we'll choose some like outliers of plants that are more familiar to people, but think of an herb like ginger, right? So this is like a, one of our most dry, hot herbs, right? And you drink ginger, you can like almost immediately start sweating and you feel that heat versus right. something like aloe vera, right? Which is really, we call it demulcent, right? So it has this mucilaginous uh, quality to it. And just like those two extremes, every plant has, and fungi has different energetics. So typically they're hot, cold, moist, or dry. And our bodies tend to 
follow a certain pattern like that as well. We call it in Western herbalism, your constitution. And Mm -hmm. so when I think about choosing the right products or herbs for different bodies, it's more like matchmaking than it is. What are you, what are the symptoms you're experiencing and how can we treat that? Mm. Um, there's so yeah. many players. I'm like, <laughs> how deep can we dive? I love that. No, that's really cool. Well, you guys have your mushroom Academy. So people, if they're curious about this and they want to know more, they absolutely can. And, you know, we've got this lovely discount code where people can try the products. And I think that's really a great way in. And I loved what you said about think about what you already do. And if it's, you know, something sweet or in the morning or whatever, and work it into your, your daily routine as is, I think that's most sustainable and, and fun, you know, and I, I know that's like a big part of your, your company mission. So with that, is there anything else that you'd want people to leave people with or want people to know about mushrooms before we wrap up? That is such a big question. (laughs) I think knowing that there's so much potential magic and wisdom and healing that can come from bringing mushrooms into your daily life. So rather than hearing the word mushroom and saying like, oh, I don't like that, which a lot of people, their only experience with mushrooms are these culinary varieties. And so I like to say comparing a like button mushroom to a reishi mushroom is kind of like comparing a chihuahua to a blue whale. The only thing they have in common is that they're under the same kingdom, but where they live, their actions, what they do with the flavor they offer when it comes to the mushrooms could not be more different. So all of our products truly taste delicious. They're not often don't have that umami mushroom flavor that you're used to. And it just feels so relevant in this year to bring functional mushrooms on board because overall what they're doing is they're adaptogens. So they're supporting our stress response and our immune system. And that's what I keep getting asked over and over again. What can I do now to make sure that I'm healthy in a month and three months and six months? And functional mushrooms are, are truly the answer to that. Thank you so much for doing this. And if anybody else wants to check out Four Sigmatic, we have a code Okay, so we always end with taking a let it out deep breath together. So when you're ready, um, inhale, exhale, let it out. (sighs) Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you.